Well, we have arrived at that special time of year in Texas. Record straight days of over a million degrees outside. Your children have completely raided your house of all the snacks and yet still demand more food. The grocery store aisles have completely abandoned all the pool floats and now three ring binders, backpacks, and yellow boxes of markers line the shelves. It can only mean one thing. It is almost back to school. Welcome to Wondercast, a community collaborative podcast supporting families navigating the complexities of chronic illness. For many families, the return to school is met with excitement and anticipation about the return of routines and daily visits with classmates. But for some, perhaps summer wasn't a season of relaxation on your medical journey. Perhaps it was filled with loss or a lot of change or quite frankly, a bunch of hard. Today, join us as we visit with Megan Christie, veteran elementary school teacher, herself once a child to a parent of chronic illness, here today as an adult to support and guide on the best ways to prepare your children for the transition back to school. This is Megan. Hi, I'm Megan Christie, and I have been a teacher for 21 years, or this will be my 21st year of teaching. I am a mom of two kiddos. One is eight, she'll be in third grade this year, and another one is six, and he will be a first grader this year, and I get to bring them with me to school, so I love that. And a wonderful husband, and we live out here in Austin. Something silly about me is I like fonts, and it has to be a cute font. No Google fonts, those are not acceptable. Everything I do in school is PowerPoint, and I will then copy it over to my Google, because oh, they need to catch up, is, is, is all I'm saying. <laughs> they, need, they do. They need to catch up, for sure. As a teacher, we are now your final Friday. Um, how, how are you feeling about the soon return to the classroom? Do you feel ready? Are you not going there, refusing to believe it? Where are you? Oh, I, I'm always ready to go back, but sad to leave summer just because it's kind of that easier time and things aren't quite as go, go, you know, I'm not waking up at 5am. Oh my gosh, 5am. <laughs> Maybe if elementary school was a little bit <laughs> later, that would be nice. But no, I'm ready to go back. I, I enjoy what I do. And once, you know, summer kind of gets wrapped up, I'm ready. In your experience as a teacher, what are some of the steadfast practices that you have seen to kind of help your students become ready or have that successful start to school? Really just establishing that wake-up routine, you know what I mean? And kind of getting your day started. And I've got to do that in my own personal life with my kids. So, you know, we're doing the 9.30, 10 o'clock, sometimes cringe um, bedtime. So we've got to start pulling that back a little bit and, you know, getting them used to waking up a little bit earlier as well. And that helps because then they're kind of ready to go in the morning first thing and just doing breakfast. We might have just like a little read time and then go start our day. For parents that maybe had a lot on their plate this summer, maybe they had illness or they had a 
parent that traveled a lot and they didn't have the opportunity to do a lot of the prep work or continuation to prevent that summer slide we talk about. Mm -hmm. Is it too late at this point for them to bridge that gap or is it something that's kind of expected each year anyway by the teachers of the next grade? We are just always aware that there's a different level of what different families are able to do over the summer. And some kids, you know, their parents are working, so they've been in camp all summer. We do kind of start out slow, and it is a little bit of a review of skills. Um, You know, we don't just jump straight in. It is a lot of setting expectations. I'll say it's never too late to start. For my personal family, we had a vacation for two weeks, and we didn't do you know, we weren't drilling and killing multiplication while we were, you know, on our family vacation. So, you know, we're going to spend maybe this next week, just 10 minutes a day doing some math and, you know, reading in the car when we can. My daughter read this morning while my son had practice for soccer or in the car on our way to dance or wherever we may go, take a book with us. I mean, it's never too late to start, but I mean, it's not a requirement over the summer either. But just know that if there hasn't been a lot done, you know, they do slide a little bit, but it's nothing that can't be made up or or anything like that. Kids I know that we've worked with through Wonders and Worries and even my own children, they kind of express this feeling of grief, of just sadness about leaving their teacher that they've become so close to or so connected in the routine of that classroom and then they move to another space that's full of unknowns and can be anxiety inducing and what practices do you do to get to know your new students at the start of each year like what information is helpful to you that is hard at the end of the year I talk to my you know parents and kids and we've made this little micro family you know throughout the year where we've made connections and, you know, really try to get to know each other on a personal level because we are together for so long. So it is hard because you are saying goodbye to this little family that you've had for a year. But getting ready for a new experience and a new start to the year, I mean, there's lots of time that we spend in classroom meetings, getting to know each other, our likes, our dislikes things we're passionate about, things that annoy us sometimes, you know, things that we like to do. I always tell my classroom kids, you know, invite me to your soccer games and, you know, I want to come see you dance or I want to come see you outside of school just to build that relationship with them and to let them know like, hey, I care about you, not just while we're here and to build that relationship with families, just to build that trust. Because I think celebrations and hard conversations everything goes over so much better if they understand that like I'm really there for their kiddo not just within that school window but you know I'm invested in who they are as a person. For our kids who were maybe those students that needed a little bit extra TLC or perhaps a little bit extra planning the year before what sort of handoff do you do for the grade that they're going into? Do you communicate that through the counselor or speak with that teacher? They're going to have like, hey, this kid is very sensitive to this, or we have found this is their best, this child's best working environment. Definitely. If your kiddo has something like a 504 set in place, or they have um, education, part of their education is served through special education. 
Those conversations are very specific as far as what accommodations or modifications they receive. So I know all that. If they have something formalized like that, I know all of that going in. If it's more of like a heart and head kind of thing, like emotional kind of thing that maybe they've seen our counselor about, she is amazing at kind of giving us, you know, a heads up of, you know, sometimes they just need a calming space in your room. And and most of us at our school, we have like a spot where kids can go and just kind of take a minute. So she kind of knows that about those kids. Or she can also say, you know, hey, go talk to the previous teacher. She had some great things or he had some great things that really worked well for this kiddo. And just so that I'm not starting from square one for that kid that, you know, I kind of have some tools and, and understanding of that kid going in. But I think that that kind of helps. So those conversations are going on before school. If your kiddo, if we know that there's a little extra TLC needed for that kiddo or they have something extra coming to the room. But if something happened over the summer that the school doesn't know about, then I would say to reach out to me, you know, before school starts or even after school has started, you can, in an email, you can schedule a time to meet with your teacher and just say, hey, you know, I really want to go over some things that happened over the summer with us um, and things that are going on. I know that can get kind of, it can be personal or it can be emotional. So if a one-on-one, you know, like I said, an email or If you're more comfortable talking to the counselor at your school, you could definitely reach out to the counselor if it's something that can be sensitive that's hard to share. And then with your permission, the counselor could share that with me. With our population that this podcast serves, a lot of our listeners do have chronic illness in their family or perhaps have been exposed to loss maybe that has occurred from ongoing chronic illness that maybe became more aggressive or advanced or caused a death in their family over the summer and they are returning now to school or maybe to a new school, maybe they were transitioning to middle school or high school or to just even a new campus, it carries a weight of heaviness and worry that I know we can recognize as parents, but I'm sure extra so for those that are in that situation going to a new place. Obviously, talking to the counselor is great. I guess if they don't know their teacher, is it appropriate for them at Meet the Teacher to say, I'm going to send you an email or there's something going on in our family. We're new. I would like to send you a communication. What is the best way to do that? Is that an appropriate space for that? I would say yes. I would say maybe, you know, if like it's meet the teacher where at our school we have where the, you know, we're dropping off supplies and that kind of thing. Just because it's such a private and personal conversation, I wouldn't want to look disinterested or that I didn't care or I wasn't giving my attention fully because there's so much going on. So yes, if you just said, hey, you know, we had some things come up this summer and I'm going to, I just want to email you and let you know, just so that I knew to kind of be on the lookout for that, as well as I think be able to give you the respect in that conversation so that, you know, does that make sense? That, that does, I wouldn't yeah. want, I wouldn't want to look like it didn't matter, but you know, you're being pulled in so many directions or I would want to be able to spend that time with you, with that parent. So yeah, I would say just give a, a heads up and maybe not have that full conversation right then, but I would hold off and, and do that. Either set up a time, say, you know, can we meet? Or, or, or in an email is fine. Again, sometimes sharing that personal stuff is hard and it's emotional. And so, yeah, I would say an email or a can, I, can we talk on the phone even, give you a call. 
So little prompts and heads up are appreciated by teachers versus maybe the full conversation because you're right. You don't want to come across disinterested or torn or. Right. Or have somebody hear something that you maybe don't want everybody to know, you know, just or or you want to share something um, that you don't want your own child to overhear that you're sharing or, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I was excited to have you as my podcast guest is that you have been a veteran teacher and I feel like new teachers are incredible and that they bring fresh insight and excitement and joyfulness to a teaching staff. But veteran teachers do come with experience level of seeing kids all day through all walks of life, through all transitions in their family from divorce to illness to death to everything. How have you seen over the years when a family is being impacted by illness? Does that show up in your students at school? Um, the most recent thing I can remember is I had a family, I was actually virtual teaching, and their mom contracted COVID, and she actually passed away within months. I mean, I think January to April, it was just not much notice. It was very abrupt. They, the parents were not together. They had a wonderful dad, but he was, you know, more like weekend kind of dad. And so there was a lot of transition happening in that family as far as where they were now living day to day and new expectations within their family. What's this going to look like? And, you know, what's happening with mom? And there's a lot of questions and unknowns for them. And so, you know, the dad and I were in constant communication. He had my cell phone number. You know, we texted a lot, just mainly so that if something did happen with with the kids that I could I could text him right away or if it looked like they were needing some extra help or, or that, you know, just I think having that extra layer of built-in of being able to text one another was helpful. But sometimes I would see that they would look, you know, a little bit more withdrawn. And so just knowing to give them their space and to be respectful that this is, you know, what's going on at home is so much bigger than this math problem that's in front of us. So just making sure to be be aware of the whole child, including, you know, their family life. And that kind of goes with all, you know, all the kiddos, loss or, you know, difficulty or not, that we're all coming into this space with different um different experiences. That one's extra hard to me just because you didn't have the physicality of that child in your space to be able to see them interact with their peers in a normal environment because little kids speaking over the computer to classmates was not a normal environment at the time. That was very foreign. No, it wasn't. And and that was too, like, you know, we would meet on and off this, you know, in class and and out of class. And, you know, just trying to always make sure I was respectful of what they wanted their peers to know because even as siblings, their comfort level as far as what their peers knew and what was shared was different. One was okay with people knowing that mom was sick and not doing well, and one wasn't is you know is open with sharing that. And so the parents definitely knew, and so I think that they a lot of them shared that with their kiddos what they were going through. But it wasn't anything that we would, you know, bring up or talk about unless they did. So as child life specialist, a lot of what we do, the work we do in children's hospitals is advocating that communication bridge between schools and the hospital. Oftentimes back when I was in my pediatric life at hospitals, 
if I had a child that I was supporting who had maybe an oncology diagnosis or a blood diagnosis or anything, we would set up a school visit where I would come to their classroom with them and help support them while they talk about what their illness is. Much like we say we kind of help children by teaching them about their bodies in the hospital, we kind of did that in a peer group setting. It's different when it's adults because kids are more apt to talk about why they don't have hair, why they have to have a port, or maybe why they have a wheelchair, or they to have this breathing machine with them. I feel like kids in general are a lot more protective when it includes their parent or their special loved one. Have you ever worked with kids who then were able to communicate to their classroom what's happening in their home life? Like, do they share about that or do you find that they kind of hold that more closely to their chest? It's all the individual. I think some kids are more comfortable, like I said, with these two boys, you know, the exact same situation, you know, living the exact same, you know, walk of life in that moment, but two completely different kids who were comfortable sharing two different, one was comfortable sharing and one was not. If your kiddo is comfortable sharing and does want to be part of that conversation, you know, what we talked about earlier about that first, you know, email that's like, hey, can we share what's going on? Especially, you know, I teach fourth grade. So by those older grades, if your kiddo is comfortable being in that conversation and so I can talk with them and say, well, what are you comfortable about? You know, what are you comfortable with the class knowing? Do you want this to be just between you and I for now? I think it's important so that they feel like they have a voice if, if they're comfortable with that to be part of those conversations as well. I know that our school programming does the program Capturing Kids Hearts, where we kind of use that as a way to have some of these conversations or check-ins with kids correct me if I'm wrong, but is the premise of capturing kids' hearts where you kind of also do like highs and lows and is that sort of, do you have that, do you start every day with that meeting space or is that part of the program or no? Feel free to correct me. Um, It's definitely about building community within your classroom. Um, Like our schedule this year isn't going to allow for a class meeting right at the beginning of the day, but we might do a check-in, you know, at some point in the day we'll have a a, a check-in And we'll, you know, tell me something good. So we share good things. You know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, good. Sometimes it's just something that we need to talk about. But there is a deliberate time where we kind of take that moment to kind of be together and and talk about our day. Yeah, with capturing kids' hearts. As a Girl Scout leader, I also meet with my Girl Scouts and they become very comfortable with our group and sharing things that happen in their life. Good, bad, ugly. And in taking that information, sometimes it gets shared in a group setting in a way that we are not expecting. Have you found when you're having your meeting times that things like that just naturally come up? Maybe, oh, my mom lost all her hair or my, my grandpa has a heart attack. Like, is there, does that just pop up at school at that age still? Or is that more found in just the younger grades? No, I mean, we do have those moments where it's, you know, oh, you know, this happened to me, or, you know, my grandfather passed away. Most of the kids at this age that I've had, you know, it has been a grandparent or an aunt or something like that. And they do feel in that moment comfortable to share that. I would say most, most do if they have something going on. 
will share that. A couple of them keep it a little bit more close to their chest. And I am thankful for those parents that have reached out. And even if, it, again, it is a grandparent, they've reached out, even just a quick email saying, hey, this is what's happening. This is what our family's going through. And I do appreciate that so that when those little moments come up, I'm not like, oh, man, you know what I mean? Like I'm expecting it and we can, you know, talk it out a little bit, you know, with what they're comfortable with. And But I think that they just need to get it off their chest sometimes. And that's just like a safe place to do that. And I mean, because they need to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like they need to be able to have some outlet to be able to share what's going on you know, in their life, if they have these like things that are kind of burdening them. I had a kiddo say something, you know, this past year and it was like, oh, okay. And he, do you want to talk about that? I'm like, nope, I just wanted to share. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, but I do think that they just want to have a place to, to talk about what's going on in their life. And so I think it's nice to have, again, that intentional time built in to build that classroom community where they can do that. I do too. And I think it's just that's one of my favorite things about working with kids. Parents might be saying, no, I don't want to talk about this. I'm going to hold this close. But if you have a child, they may not share that vision plan. And they're, yes. going, to, they're going to let it be known. It often to, differs from ours. <laughs> it sure does. And when you think of just the hours a day that children are with their classrooms and how much during the school year, that really does become a little family to them of support and continuity and consistency. And it is, I mean, I, I sob at the end of the year cause I'm like, Oh, like this is, you know, you have, you built this little family and now I've, I've got to say goodbye to you. I know. So yeah. I'm always like, I want to be invited to all the things, invite me to your graduations, invite me to, yeah. I love hard. it. It is hard. It's hard, but it also speaks to the importance of having a classroom that is connected and close and communicative about life and about their stories. Now, looking through all your years and experience with kids, how have you found that are some of your methods that seem to be more tried and true with supporting kids that may be struggling at school and it's related to bigger issues maybe happening in their home life, not so much ADHD or dyslexia or some of the other conditions that you might find in a classroom, but more related to something life, happening in their life. Home. Things. Yeah, big life. Sure. Um, I mean, my, my biggest thing is that communication piece, like having that rapport with the parent and having that communication with the parent where I can text you or I can email you or you feel safe to do the same just so that they, the child knows that we are both here for you, we're both on the same page. But that has been just the biggest win that you can do is to build that relationship between home and school and to help support that kiddo wherever they are. Typically, do you find that the kids will express things in the classroom that then you seek the counselors for support? Or and loop them in, or do you find it's the other way around, where the counselor is more alerting you about a familial situation or a need? Probably if it's the beginning of the year, because that you know that trust probably hasn't you know been really established. They've got no you know background with me for the most part. Um, so if it's something coming into the year, a lot of times it would be the counselor kind of giving the heads up or having those conversations. But as we go through the year, it's more just typically like the parent and I having those conversations. One of the things we run into with wonders and worries is sometimes the parent may not be in a place in their own illness journey to have 
other adults know what's happening. And so sometimes there is that bridge to have to explain to them why it is so important to put safe people in their child's everyday school life who know because then it helps them feel when they're having big feelings or they're having moments where they need to take a break. They know they have this safe person that knows everything and understands and they don't have to go through the whole, this is what's happening at home. Sometimes, like you say, those big feelings and if they need to have a place to go or they need to have somebody who can really sit down with them in that moment and even just listen or just be somebody to sit next to or I'm just thinking about our counselor at school and she's amazing where she will just come, you know, everybody loves her. All the kids are probably hoping it's, you know, that she's going to come and get them and take, and take them <laughs> away to her wonderful, happy place because she's amazing. But I think that that's just one more place and one more person in their life that can be there and support them. And sometimes in the day-to-day of school in a way that I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I, I can't leave my, my 20 for long to go sit, you know, I can sit in the hallway with them, but you don't want to sit in the hallway and sit on the floor and talk with me about big feelings. You know what I mean? To have a private place that they can go, that they can feel safe, you know, turn the lights out, go sit in the beanbag, you know, play with, you know, some fidgets to kind of just decompress and and have that moment. So I would say, I mean, I know it's hard. And I'm speaking too, as a, as a kiddo, um, who went through that with my own mom. And when I was 13, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I appreciate so much about what you do because I don't know anybody at school that knew that. And so if I had, I was crying. That's okay. That's okay. I'm a crier too. So if I had those feelings, I didn't have anybody to go to. And that makes a difference. It makes a difference to not know who your safe people are versus knowing that if I have a big feeling that comes, or we call them sometimes in our profession waves, right? Those waves of feelings that just are like an ocean. It it sweeps up and sweeps us away. If I'm having a big wave of feelings, knowing that I have this care plan, that's not necessarily a 504. That's not necessarily through IEP or special education planning. Just knowing that this is my, this is my teacher knows. And I have, we had one kiddo who, they had a word that they used that was kind of their word to say, I need to go see the counselor. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't a word that was like, Hey, I need to go see the counselor because they were older and they worried about what their peers thought. So they just came up with a phrase with the teacher for sure and used that. And that was kind of their common language for our high school kids. Some of them have just a standing rule when I need a hall pass to go to the counselor. I just say to whatever teacher, because at that point they have eight different teachers just saying, This is the plan of care. It often comes Mm -hmm. through the counseling department. And our plan of care includes if this student comes to you and says bananas, it means they need to come see me and they have your permission, no matter what's happening, to leave the classroom and come to me. I feel like that communication within the school department is so important, too, because it helps this child know that I don't have to carry it anymore. And I everyone knows without me having to communicate to eight different teachers or three different teachers or five different teachers, they get to communicate for me and they all know. That is so important that that's set up. And I I love that that that's something that's happening now because there's so much going on on the day to day. And as you're talking about, like as the kids are getting older with eight different teachers, the fact that they're all on that same page and that they can all be there to support that kiddo and how they need it. Um, is I think that's incredible. Yeah, it shows how communication has come so far. What would you mm-hmm. say has been your, 
and you may not have any, but do you have a great success story in working with anybody who maybe had a familial illness in their family? I would just say those two boys. I mean, I do keep, I do keep track of them. You know, I, um, I still text the dad from time to time and, you know, how are they doing? And he gives me updates and, um, it was, it was a big transition and it was, it was hard and it was sad and it was, um, all the things, but you know, they are coming out on the other side of that and their relationship with their dad is that much stronger trying to see the good, you know, in, in that, and they're doing, they're doing okay. And, um, and so I, I like that because I've been able to track them a little bit. You don't just lose family members. You, you love them forever. Yeah, we do. I know. I'm always like, okay, is it, am I crossing a boundary if I'm emailing my parent group from last year and being like, Hey, have a great start to the year. How y'all doing? <laughs> no, I, I think it's great. <laughs> last question. Do you have any advice for a new teacher or an educator that's maybe listening on how they can go about getting to know some of their new students coming in the classroom? I would say what we talked about is that just intentional time and especially like build that into your schedule because it's not just going to miraculously happen. Very intentional with our time, especially at that beginning of the year of of not just the getting to know you games like, you know, hi, I'm Megan and I'm magnificent or whatever it may be, but really kind of sitting down and having those conversations. I even try to go and like, as they're working on little group works, like try to sit down next to them and just spend some of that one-on-one time with each of the kiddos and kind of do little check-ins. And we do build that into the beginning of your year because it will pay off in loads as you uh, are going through the year and trying to have those conversations. Take pictures of your kids and send it to your group list of parents throughout, you know, the beginning of the week because they they're missing their little kiddo too. They've had them all summer. And, you know, I know the moms are like high-fiving down the hallway as they're dropping them off that first day and going for coffee. But after a while, you know, they're missing them too. So I try to send like some pictures or some, just a lot of like front load your communication, like crazy. I mean, not annoying, but, (laughs) but just enough where they feel comfortable emailing you back or calling you back because that they know that that's a precedent you're setting up teachers carry your children those of you listening they carry the weight of their world with them too every day you're even years them yes (laughs) even years later you know you're still holding on and and thinking about them and and worrying about them because you like you said you're their little family thank you for tuning in to our podcast today Please subscribe and continue to check back as our content is ever evolving. For questions or specific content-related requests, please send an email to podcast at wondersandworries.org.